0: So we're going to look at Psalm 73 and uh, let's begin by praying. Loving Father, thank you for bringing us here together this morning. Thank you that your word speaks to so many areas of our life with such strength and attraction and power. We pray that you would speak to us this morning through Psalm 73, the experience of the psalmist. We pray that your spirit would lead us into a deeper contentment and confidence in you, a greater desire for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 73 has been uh, gripping me for a while and I've uh, spoken about it in a number of contexts and I'm going to share one of those contexts with you at the end of the sermon. But uh, it's it's a psalm about envy to start with. Uh, and the first half of the psalm takes you on, on the psalmist's rather terrible journey to the point where he felt that he'd almost given up being one of God's people. He was ready to give up. He was, he was ready to, we might say, commit apostasy. And there's a big turning point in the middle of the psalm where he, he comes back to reality. And God brings him to that point where he realises that everything he's been thinking about was so destructive and bringing him back into that confidence in himself, which he desires us all to have. So let's think a little bit, first of all, about the problem of envy. Envy is a feeling of discontentment or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities or good fortunes. Um, Recent studies have shown that envy is actually spiking in our culture and social media is largely responsible for that. Um, People who use too much Facebook feel bad about their lives and people who watch Instagram feel even more envy, apparently. And the strange thing is that our culture kind of glorifies envy. Recently, a newspaper article put it this way, Gordon Gecko had it all wrong. It's not greed that's good, it's envy. Think about it. Envy is what we mean when we talk about keeping up with the Joneses. It's not just petty social comparisons. It also pushes us to try harder, do better, match the accomplishments or wealth of someone else we admire. In our society, envy is at least in part a driver of economic aspiration and activity. Hmm, true. Dangerous. In Titus chapter 3, Paul says that envy is one of the characteristics of life without God. At one time, he says we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another. At one time, yes. But how easily these things can come back into our experience as Christians, as theological students, as ministers of the gospel. And the writer of Psalm 73, I think, alerts us to the dangers. So let's look at it together, shall we? The psalmist begins in an interesting place which he actually comes back to considering God's goodness to Israel. Surely, he says, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he looks at the world, his own little world, uh, and he sees people who are doing better than he is. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. Wonderful picture, isn't it, of how people are so successful and desirable because they seem to be doing so much better than we are in our little context. He goes on and talks about their callous hearts, uh, full of iniquity. Evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance they threaten oppression their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongue take possession of the earth. They're kind of strutting through the, through the earth with their tongues and taking possession of everything. They're so super confident. Uh, I wish I was like that, you know. That's, 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 the, that's the natural feeling, isn't it? And therefore people turn to them and drink up waters in, a, in abundance. They're drinking in what these people are saying and, and, and glorifying them because they're so attractive and powerful and I wish I could be like that. And they say... How would God know? Does the most high know anything? You know, We despise God. We've got no time and place for God. This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Now the problem with this kind of world view which was developing for the psalmist is the impact that it had on his relationship with God. And so he says in verse 13, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence... All day long, I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishment. So he looks at his own life and he says, What a struggle it is. I'm, I, so many things are going wrong in my own life. I'm experiencing punishment, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing grief and affliction. And I'm, and I'm trying to be pure for God, I'm, I'm trying to be faithful. Uh, and what's the point? Uh, because I miss all these things that other people have got. Envy is a powerful, destructive force, isn't it? It takes over. It's irrational. But uh, it has that effect of making us doubt the sincerity and wisdom of what we're doing in even our relationship with God and the importance of what we, we actually know in our, in our brains in our, in our, and in our hearts is true. And yet we can be overtaken by these things. Just this morning someone sent me a text, a friend of mine, talking about someone who just left youth ministry abandoned his wife and has gone off with one of the other youth leaders. I'm sure we all have heard stories like this. It can it can come right into the centre of our Christian ministry and destroy our marriages, destroy our, our lives, destroy our ministry, destroy our relationship with God. This is a powerful force that can, can, can grip any one of us and we need to be alert to when it is happening to us as it happened to the psalmist. But the most exciting thing about this psalm is the next part. Uh, as you realise how he came out of this experience. And the first thing that we notice is he had a good look at his Christian friends, if I can put it in that way. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. So these thoughts, these desires were, were, were private. He was having a private struggle with God and the world and the flesh and the devil. And he realised that if he'd actually got the, to the point of articulating this, then he would have betrayed God's children. Interesting expression, isn't it? He realised there are a whole lot of people out there who standing for the Lord and seeking to be faithful, seeking to be pure and innocent as, as he was. And if he was to speak out and, and grumble and complain and, and, and really articulate what was on his heart, it would actually have a powerful negative impact on God's people. And that, in a sense, is the starting point of his journey back to reality because he realises he's part of the company of the faithful who are called by God to live in faithfulness and not to have this view of the world and of those who appear to be so successful in the world. And he says, When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny." Now I take it that this is the, this is the second solution, although it's, it's tied in with the first, that perhaps he went to the temple and, and there he reflected on two things. He reflected on God's goodness to Israel. That's how the psalm starts. He reflected on the character of God and the way God had dealt with his people and that, that, that big story became the story that brought him back into reality in his relationship with God. But of course at the temple also in the context of corporate worship, there are the people of God celebrating the character of God and their their relationship with God. And these two things uh, combined to bring him back into a right relationship with God. And so he concludes in verse uh, 16, 18 sorry, surely you place them on slippery ground. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed it, but the word surely occurs three times in this psalm. Uh, it, it occurs at the beginning in the first verse. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And then it occurs again in verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. And then it occurs again in verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. And each time the psalmist uses that word, it seems like he's saying almost against The odds, even against what appears to be true, this is true. Uh, And so in in this particular case, it doesn't look like these people are going to come into judgment. It doesn't look like they're going to suffer in any way for their arrogance and and their betrayal of God. But the fact is, I know that this is going to happen. And when when he went into the sanctuary, he says in the previous verse, I understood their final destiny... And so here's a sort of a third point that um, I think we can bring into the mix. Understanding ultimate reality, the the judgement of those who continue to defy God and who continue to ignore his will and to pursue evil and the good outcome for those who continue to be faithful and to serve God. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors they are like a dream when one awakens. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you. So when we when we we find ourselves getting caught up in this kind of um, evaluation of the world and people, when we when we we're overcome by this, these sort of desires to be like somebody else, to be in a better situation, to be resentful of where God has put us, and so on. Uh, we're like animals he says we're not not being true human beings we're not not exercising that thoughtfulness of mind and that that heart towards God which we're meant to have we become utterly senseless and ignorant like a brute beast before you and yet he says I'm always with you you hold me by by my right hand you guide me with counsel and afterwards you'll take me into glory so he's Ongoing experiences of the continuing care and and provision of God, the continuing guidance of God, that it's not He who's holding on to God, it's it's God who's holding on to Him, even through this great struggle that He's been going through. And afterwards, You will take me into glory. I think it's one of those rare verses, but important verses in the Psalm, which talk to us about the continuation of life beyond death, of the psalmist's experience of God. You will take me in or with glory uh, and I will experience what I'm experiencing now for eternity. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth is nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So he, he, he's, he's been brought back to reality by first of all considering the people of God and that he's part of a company of people who are seeking to serve uh, the Lord in faithfulness and not be overwhelmed by these powers and these attractions. He's come back to reality because he's reflected on his personal experience in the light of God's goodness to Israel and he's come back to reality because he's got his... Perspective right, he's thinking of things in terms of final destiny, their destiny and his own destiny as someone who's being held by the Lord in that ongoing relationship of love and care that God has for us. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So he concludes, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. I think that for me the, one of the most interesting things about the psalm is the last words because having gone through this experience, you now want to tell other people about it. There's an openness, there's an honesty. I wonder I wonder how many of us would feel comfortable about confessing to one another that we've actually had these sort of struggles We've actually got to the point where our feet almost slipped. We almost abandoned our relationship with God. That we are so full of envy and greed and lust or whatever it is that uh, we just about gave up. Uh, And yet there's that honesty of the the psalmist as he writes his psalm so that not only his own generation but subsequent generations of believers could be struck by this, the honesty of it, and, and go with him on the journey which is out of all that into a more trusting, loving and dependent relationship, expectant relationship with God. So it is good for me to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell of all your deeds. Now I mentioned that uh, I've recently been using this psalm in another context and I want to share that with you because it's an an important uh, testimony that I want to give you. Uh, For for some time I've been involved with Liberty Christian Ministries, which is designed to support and help those who are struggling with same-sex attraction. And this year I've been running a support group for a group of men who uh, are in that position, Christian men, who who are struggling to be faithful to the Lord against all all the pressures that same-sex attraction bring. And I shared this psalm with them uh, because I knew it would touch their experience. And it certainly did. It, it overwhelmed me when they came back at me and we had a time of sharing afterwards. Because uh, one of the things I've always known but which, which was shared with me on this occasion was just how much people who struggle with same-sex attraction and wanting to be faithful to the Lord experience loneliness, sexual frustration, the feeling they could never be married and have children, envy of those who have these blessings tempted to think that God doesn't love them or care for them, that other believers don't understand or want to be close to them. And these are just some of the factors that drive them to feel as the psalmist did in the first part of this psalm. But what really also surprised me when we we shared this psalm together was how openly these guys identified with the second part of the psalm, how they had been through similar journeys, how for them the relationship with God was the most important one. And it was driving them forward uh, in faithfulness. So I wanted to share that with you this morning, partly because I think this is a great psalm which we should reflect on ourselves many times and it should be a regular part of our own sort of relationship with God. But also to open up for us um, something of the struggle that, that people go on with in, in, in our churches. There are people in our churches who struggle with same-sex attraction and for them envy is a very powerful force. Uh, that they have to contend with. So we need to understand that. We need to share their lives. We need to uh, be able to open up about our own struggles in this regard. Uh, we need to have a sensitivity and a care for those who may be in, in a situation like this. So as we uh, draw to a close this morning, let's uh, reflect again on the on the concluding words and uh, let's uh, ask God to speak to us about our own journey and where we are at this in time. Let's, let's pray together. Let's just have a moment of quiet as we all reflect on where we are in our journey with Christ, what we're struggling with at the moment, what are the big temptations, what's drawing us aside from faithfulness to the Lord And uh, let's hear again these words. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you'll take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Thank you, Father, for these Words. Thank you for working in the psalmist's life in this way. Thank you for preserving this psalm for us. Thank you that in the Lord Jesus we have the pioneer and perfecter of faith uh, to whom we can always look, who's always got his hand on us. Help us to keep fixing our eyes on him and not desiring what other people have, not being jealous, not being envious, not being greedy, not being covetous of things that other people have or are. May we continue to find our contentment in your son and in the relationship with you that he has made possible. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.